a lot of people, when they try and beat procrastination, they kind of go straight to the medicine without doing any of the diagnosis. You know, they like turn up at the doctors and they just say, hey, give me, you know, give me these tips on how to cure myself without asking, okay, well, what is it that's actually causing you to procrastinate? And most importantly, I think people don't realize is the most important you can, thing you can do when you procrastinate is learn when you procrastinate. Because most people don't spot that they're procrastinating until it's way too late. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. What does it take to become a more productive writer? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. And that's a question we're going to answer in this week's podcast interview where I catch up with Arthur Worsley of Faster to Master. But before we get into this week's interview, productivity is actually something that I've been fascinated with over the years. And it's how I started my site, Become a Writer Today. Let me take you back to 2012. Back then, I spent a lot of time reading technology and productivity blogs like Lifehacker, which of course is still around today and bigger than ever. But I was fascinated with it about eight years ago. I was fascinated with it because I loved hearing about books like Getting Things Done and The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But I also loved or loved learning, you know, little technical hacks that I could use to speed up my computer and fancy keyboard shortcuts that I could master to get things done a little bit quicker in Excel or Word for work. And I was so inspired by all of this that I set up a technology blog at the time, which was called Work, Read, Play. And this was around 2013. And on that blog, I started sharing productivity and tech tips that I'd come across about keyboard shortcuts for Excel, quotes from books like getting things done and so on. And the site actually started getting a little bit of traffic and a bit of engagement. But then I realized that it was impossible for one Irish person in Ireland in a spare bedroom to keep up with a big news and technology website like Lifehacker. Because, you know, they have many journalists that they employ and professional writers, whereas I had a budget of zero. So I realized it was probably a mistake to set up a technology blog about productivity. And I ended up shutting that site down. And that led me to start Become a Writer Today. But I'm still always interested in productivity because I like learning about how I can accomplish more, you know, with software or or with tools or with the help of other people in my business and how I can apply insights from the world of productivity to write faster. And that's actually led me to things like dictation. So I still follow the space. I still read the books in the area. And one of the, the big upcoming blogs in the productivity area is Faster to Master, which is Arthur's blog. Now, he doesn't necessarily talk about technology. He's more focused on how you can learn, how you can master topics, and also how you can stop working harder and accomplish more. And in fact, his new book is actually called Stop Working Harder, 10 Simple Steps to Take Back Control, Do More with Less, and Make Big Things Happen. And I've known Arthur for about two years because we were in a mastermind together with John Murrow, where, you know, we got together with a group of other people with similar businesses and talked or explored about different ways we could grow our business and help more people. And I've still kept in touch with Arthur since we were in that mastermind. And I've been really impressed by what he's doing on his site. Uh, For example, he has a fantastic resource if you're looking for something to read. I think he's cultivated books from a range of different disciplines, which can help you with everything from learning a language to how to succeed at work or in business or in self-help. Anyway, I recently had the chance to catch up with Arthur. And in the interview, I put to him one of the big arguments against productivity, which is 
You can never get to the bottom of your to-do list. In fact, productivity is just a way of forcing yourself to work harder and harder and harder to get more done. And eventually you'll just burn out because we're not meant to be become productive like robots. And I really wanted to see what somebody who's an expert in the area would think of an argument against productivity like this. And I think you'll find Arthur's reply quite helpful and insightful, whatever stage you're at, whether you're feeling burnt out or you just want to accomplish a little bit more with your writing or your creative work. And of course, there's lots of other topics we cover in this week's interview. But before we get over to it, I do have an ask. If you enjoy the Become a Writer Today podcast and you're listening on iTunes or another store, please, can you go there now and leave a short rating or a review? Because those ratings and reviews will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And I really want to grow the podcast and help more writers out there. So it would mean a lot to me if you could do it. And of course, if you've got feedback about the show, you can just send me an email, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, at becomearitertoday.com. Or you can reach out to me on Twitter. That's at Brian J. Collins, Brian with a Y. Now, with that said, let's go over to this week's interview. And I started by asking Arthur to give a bit of information about why he decided to set up Faster to Master and how he got into the productivity niche in the first place. I mean, I guess it really starts. We all, you know, like most people, I turned up on my first day of work. And actually, I started out when I was at university and I was an entrepreneur and I was trying to do my degree at the same time. And I, I was struggling. I was trying to like take on as many, many things as I could. I was excited. I was trying to do all of these things. And then I was just feeling so overwhelmed. And I started reading productivity books. And I thought to myself, the first time I read a productivity book, I was actually more angry than I was excited because I thought to myself, how has no one in the last 20 years ever stopped and showed me this super basic stuff that I'm learning from these books? And that was a really big moment for me, like a learning experience. And then I went, after that, I went and worked in finance. And then I worked as a consultant for McKinsey. Um, and before that, I'd been studying psychology at Oxford. So I went to McKinsey and the same thing happened. And I was with these you know, people who were amazing at what they did, but there was no one had ever shown them, you know, this is how you organize your emails, or this is how you set your days up for success, or this is how you plan your week in advance, or even this is how you use a calendar and this is how you not do it. You know, everyone turns up to work on the first day and they're just handed this toolkit and people are like, okay, go get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a similar experience. <laughs> yeah, and it's crazy, right? And so what I wanted to capture with this book was all of that productivity advice that you wish you'd been taught in school. All of the things, because yeah. sometimes the, the productivity literature can focus too much on, you know, big things like 90-day goal setting or mindset or things like that. But there's actually this such yeah. low-hanging fruit. And if you capture this, like, how do you get rid of distractions? How do you really beat procrastination? How do you set your calendar up? How do you name your files and folders so you can actually find stuff so it's not a mess? These tiny little things, if you get them all lined up, can easily help you double your productivity for life. And it takes about 48 hours to learn all of them. So so I just wanted to get all of those lessons that I'd learned from my reading, from being a productivity coach, from the people, the amazing people and uh, CEOs and uh, other consultants and things like that, that I'd worked with and just put it all in one place. So that's the, the synopsis, the snapshot of the book. And when you were writing and researching the book, what were the productivity books that inspired you? Oh, so many. <laughs> um, I mean, the huge one, everyone knows getting things done, seven habits of highly effective people, uh, the one thing, the slight edge, the compound effect. I've actually got a whole reading list of uh, productivity books on my blog, and I've summarized a huge number of them. Um, and so I was taking from all of those different books, you know, everything that I, you know, everything from deep work, for example, Cal Newport talking about eliminating distractions to atomic habit from James Clear and talking about how to build habits and do habit tracking effectively, you know, to the power of the one thing in terms of prioritizing. One of my favorite authors is Brian Tracy. So his book Goals and Eat That Frog. Those are all books that inspired what I wrote here. But it's also, it comes from a lot of practical experience. So a lot of it didn't just come from books. It came from 
working with people who were incredibly productive and seeing what they did and then just testing and experimenting with their different approaches. So there's 10 different chapters in the book that cover everything from dominating your day to eliminating distractions. But if you could think of one productivity strategy or one tip that really changed how you work, what would it be? My absolute favorite one and one that, oh, there's so many, it's hard. So it's not that people don't understand it. Psychologically, we're unable to see it is the compound effect works when you do one thing over time and you just stick to it. But there's something called the Lollapalooza effect, which is something I learned from Charlie Munger, which is where you do lots of little things and they all create a compound effect straight away. So the hard thing is, is that all of the things in the book are actually incredibly powerful. If there's one thing that really, really helped me, it's actually, it's a free chapter that people can download. It's my section on beating procrastination because a lot of people, when they try and beat procrastination, they kind of go straight to the medicine without doing any of the diagnosis. You know, they like turn up at the doctors and they just say, hey, give me, you know, give me these tips on how to cure myself without asking, okay, well, what is it that's actually causing you to procrastinate? And most importantly, I think people don't realize is the most important you can, thing you can do when you procrastinate is learn when you procrastinate. Because most people don't mm. spot that they're procrastinating until it's way too late, right? So the thing that I always get people to do is I go, make a, get really clear on when you procrastinate, then understand why you're procrastinating, then work out what the right intervention is to stop you from procrastinating. I talk about that in my free chapter. And that's, that's probably one of the most powerful secrets to just constantly getting stuff done because it helps you stop getting in your own way, basically. So you've worked with a number of students and clients over the years. Like what are the reasons that they give you for why they procrastinate or when do they procrastinate? What are the common issues you come across? For sure. So I think there are four basic reasons that we procrastinate, right? There's lack of clarity, which is not knowing what to do next. So it can either be not knowing what to do at all, you know, having no idea about what the right thing is, or it can be simply about like knowing what to do, but not knowing what to do next. You know, you don't know what the next action is. You haven't really thought it through. Then there's lack of courage, which is where you know what to do, but you're actually like a little bit afraid of what's going to happen if you do it. It could be afraid of failure or it could be afraid of sometimes people are afraid to actually get what they want. So it's working through that fear. The third one is lack of motive, which is where you don't really know why you're doing something. And this is a huge one for a lot of people. A lot of us, we think we're working towards things that we care about. You know, in, in our grandparents' day, it was you know, making sure we had roofs over our head, making sure that we had healthcare, making sure we had food on the table. And these were important things because if you didn't work for those things, then, you know, it was game over. But we live in a society where there's diminishing returns on what people are working for in terms of income. And so people suffer from lack of motive because they're working towards old gods that they no longer believe in. They're working for reasons that were important to people who are living a hundred years ago, but not important to us that have just been handed down to us. So working out what your lack of motive, like why are you really doing what you're doing? is super important. Uh, and the last one, which is also incredibly important, is lack of energy. So sometimes you know what to do, you feel courageous, you know it's the right thing to do. But another thing which I love is the idea that the size of a problem is relative to the energy that you have. So if you're absolutely full, imagine you're going for a run, right? If you've slept well and you're rested and you're feeling good, then like a two kilometer run is going to feel like nothing. It's a walk in the, assuming that you can do a, a run at a certain distance, but a short run will feel like nothing. If, however, you haven't slept at all, you're dehydrated, you know, you're feeling crappy, then you wake up and a two kilometer run might feel like a billion miles, right? So it's this idea of making sure that you're rested. And, and when I talk about energy, we talk about three different kinds. There's saturation. Like saturation is kind of like if all you did was eat pasta, it's this idea of constantly feeling like you've had enough to eat and or that you've, you've eaten too much. The second one is tiredness, which is where you just feel fatigued because you're dehydrated or you haven't slept well. And the last one, which a lot of people don't realize they're suffering from um, is fatigue, right? Which is this like chronic 
I've been working for too hard for too long and I haven't had a break in a long time. So those are the four reasons that most people procrastinate. They're um, a lack of clarity, lack of courage, lack of energy and lack of motive or lack of motive and lack of energy. So if I was to start a big creative project like a book, what would you recommend I do or what should be my first steps to avoid encountering those problems? So, I mean, if you work through each one, uh, lack of clarity, um, there are two reasons that I got stuck when I was writing my book. The first is I wasn't sure about the topic. And the second was that I wasn't sure about what the next steps in the process were. So in terms of the topic, I think something that's really helpful is to have written and spoken a lot about your topic before you sit down and write about it, if it's nonfiction. So when I sat down and wrote my chapter on procrastination, I'd already written you know, scores of articles on procrastination and talk to clients about it, things like that. It came out naturally, right? I wasn't having to, to invent it as I went along. So having an idea about what you're going to speak about in terms of like understanding the process, reading blogs like yours, Brian, are super, super helpful. So understanding, oh, so this is what I need to do. I need to like do a, a brief and then I need to work out, okay, this is the chapter structure. And then I need to dot dash the whole thing with bullets. And then, and then this is where it's going in terms of publishing. So having that whole thing in mind is helpful. Uh, lack of uh, motive. I think a lot of people, it's just helpful to write down why you even want to write a book. Is it for money? Is it because you want to build credibility with clients? Is it because, you know, to really get clear on what it is you want out of it can be helpful on those days where you just get up and you don't want to write to be like, oh yeah, that's why. Mm. It sounds like there's a bit of thinking that a creative would need to do before they actually put a few words on the page. So yes, if you ask me upfront, what's the main thing you need to do, it can sound quite overwhelming. You think, oh, I need to do all of these things before I can even get started. But I would also say, when I uh, give advice, so one of the other things I write about on my blog, the first thing I write about is um, productivity. And the second thing I write about is accelerated learning, so skill learning. And a lot of people go, um, oh, it's so important to have goals before you even start a skill. The one thing I would say is that sometimes you just have to get up and start doing something. And this process I'm talking about in terms of iteration is something that you do as you go along. If you wake up and you're full of energy and you're inspired to write a book, you should just sit down and start writing. Like let all of that stuff out. Like don't let worrying about all this stuff get out. When you should start worrying about procrastination is the first day you wake up and you go, I don't want to write today. And that can be super scary when you've written up and had five days in a row where you just like, you know, it, it's flowing out of you. That's when it's helpful to go, okay, well, what's holding me back? Is it because I'm not sure what the next step is? Is it because I'm afraid that, that actually I've bitten off my I can chew? Is it because I've actually lost touch of why I'm writing this book? I don't, I'm just not motivated. Or is it because I'm just exhausted? I've been writing like eight hours a day for five days and I just need a break, you know? So that's when you start thinking about this stuff rather than front loading it too much. Yeah. So I typically write down, you know, five to seven reasons why I would want to write a book in the first yeah. place. And from other authors I've spoken to, they, they normally want to write a book to, to earn money, to make an impact or to express themselves. So normally their reasons fall into one of those three categories. So you talked there about sitting down and just getting the words out on the page, which, which is important too. And when we talked previously, you told me that you write almost all of the articles on your site and you write for an hour or two every morning. So would, would you be able to describe what your writing process is like and how you find ideas and how you work through them and turn them into published articles? Yeah, for sure. So when I'm writing... Um, because I'm writing, the way that I write is I write for, for SEO partly, but I also write for my audience and I also write for myself. 
right? So SEO is search engine optimization. So I'm writing things that Google is going to find and that I can actually rank for. And so when I'm thinking about topics, the first thing I'll do is I just, I always have too many topics that I want to write about. So I just published an article, for example, on, it's got a hundred, it's something like 140 productivity hacks, right? Where I just list every productivity hack I've ever found. So that in itself, I've already got 140 possible articles I could write about and I'm slowly writing through them. Or I write book summaries. So I've got hundreds of books I want to read in some ways. So once I've got the full list and I, I kind of have this repository of ideas that I'd like to write about. And whenever I come up with one, I add it to this list of someday maybe topics. Then it's a question of finding what are the ones that I want to write about right now? Like which ones, when I look down that list, am I inspired by? Which ones do I think are going to be easy for people to find out about from Google, for example, when they search? And also what are people going to be interested in? And what you find is that uh, that wipes out a huge number of things that you could write about because at any one time, I won't want to write about a third of my list and a third of them will be too hard for my website to rank for and a third of them probably aren't that interesting. So it narrows it down to a really small little bubble and that's where I get started. And then I think the, the most important thing for me, if I'm just thinking about writing an article, is the first thing that I'll do is I'll do some reading around the article. So I'll just Google whatever the topic is and I'll often read the top 10 things. Often I've read a few books around the topic or the best things that I read about are things that I've done for myself. So for example, I have a post on language learning. I spent three years learning five languages fluently. So I, that's something I can easily write about because it comes from direct experience. And then what I do is I sit down and I just try and spend the first two hours of my day. So I use two hour blocks Everyone's different. Some people, they're called Pomodoros. These ideas of doing 25 minutes of work and a five minute break. But what it does, instead of thinking I have to finish this article today, what I think is I'm going to write for the next two hours. And if I finish, I, I finish. If I don't finish, I don't finish. Because some days, as I'm sure you know, you wake up and you sit down and, and 3,000 words come off the keyboard. Those, I wish those happened more often. <laughs> but some days you wake up and you sit down and 300 words yeah. come off the keyboard. <laughs> you know? And so taking the pressure off the output, instead of every day saying, I have to write a thousand words, being like, every day I'm going to wake up and write for two hours, or I'm going to write for three hours. What you find is on average over time, you tend to hit the word counts that you want. To hit. Do you have an outline that you're using or do you just write what's in your head about from your research? So when I was at McKinsey, one of the most important thinking techniques that I learned was called the pyramid principle. So I, I do two things. I always bullet point out my article. If it's an article that's strictly some kind of how-to or something like that, I'll often use the pyramid principle, which is just an idea if you have one governing thought up the top, and then you imagine there are yeah. two or three thoughts underneath it that support that governing thought. And then there are two or three thoughts underneath that which support those thoughts. And so what you do is you start with the governing thought and you communicate it top down, right? So my, my headline will be the top governing thought, and then the three main sections will be the three points that all point into it, right? If I'm more often and something I'm working a lot more on and I hadn't really understood for a long time is the importance of storytelling in writing. And for that, I use a combination of a framework that I learned from Russell Brunson in his excellent dot-com secrets. His, that's his book, dot-com secrets, and also Donald Miller in the excellent story brand, which I'm sure you've read. And they talk about uh, the idea of, you know, having a problem and then it feeling a certain way and then hitting it. It's the hero's journey effectively, but just they've taken it for their own copywriting. Yeah, Robert McKee outlines that quite well in his book. Yeah, Robert McKee is the original. Yeah, and that story principle or pyramid principle you talked about kind of reminded me of the controlling idea for a book where you have one single idea that explains what the book is about and all the chapters feed into that idea. So, so that's an interesting way to describe it. Yeah. yeah, I must remember that one. And then when you finish your article, do you let it sit for a while and come back and edit it that afternoon or the following week? 
Yeah, so I, for a long time, you know, I read On Writing Well by William Zinzer, which blew me away as one of the best books on writing I, I personally have ever read. And he goes, it's all in the editing. You know, it's edit, edit, edit. And I was like, I don't need to edit. But what I found is that two things are really helpful. Once I've written an article, I try and give it space. So the first thing I do is I, I let it sit for a day and I sleep on it. And then I come back to it and I'm often like, oh, you know, things which I thought were great, even if I'd reviewed them later the same day, I, I'm now like, okay, I can change that. The second thing which I really love to do is change the format of reviewing. So if I've written the article on my screen, let's say I'm typing it onto, uh, into WordPress or into my notes, um, whatever it is, I'll actually print a PDF. I'll send it to my, my iPad Pro and then I'll edit it using my iPad Pro and Apple Pencil. Okay, it's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, there's something magical about changing the format of rereading it yeah. that helps me see the article in a whole new way and, and avoid getting stuck in that trap of, you know, rehashing the first three paragraphs a thousand times and not getting to the rest of the article. Yeah, I, I printed out and used a red pen, but what, what's the app you use on your iPad Pro to do that? I've been using Notability for two okay. years now, and it's an absolute lifesaver. Okay, I must try that. I was a huge paper user. I was a rainforest burner. Um, and since the iPad Pro and Apple Pencil... <laughs> rainforest. <laughs> since the iPad Pro and Apple Pencil, I have never used a piece of paper again. I do everything from uh, learning languages. I use my. I have a productivity uh, planner, and I use. Yeah. I fill that out on my iPad Pro. I fill everything out there. So. And for editing, it's wonderful. Okay, I'll, I'll try that. Because, yeah, sometimes it can get a bit messy when you're printing out a long manuscript... There can be paper everywhere. So just to switch track for a moment. So, so you're, like, you're quite analytically driven. You use numbers to make a lot of decisions for, for your business or what to work on or even what to write. Whereas a lot of creative people, a lot of writers, you know, would say that they're more comfortable with words rather than numbers. So what would you say to somebody who is maybe not that comfortable with numbers? Like how can they use numbers to inform what they should write or maybe to build a creative business? I think the important thing to realize is that the quality of your decision making is based on the quality of information that's available to you. And for some people, they like that information in numbers. And numbers are a great way to get information because they just, they're an easy way to see things. Some people are very visual. Uh, some people like to read things. The important thing though is not to mistake not being a numbers person with not being an information person. Does that yeah. make sense? So I think you can still, I use numbers to think through things because I love to see the full picture. There's something about numbers that gives you a, a big picture that I personally can't fit in my mind. You know, when I'm looking, when I'm trying to decide between which of 40 articles I should work on next, having numbers helps me triage it down to five. And that's a number that my brain can work on, right? Some people are much more intuitive than I am, in which case I would say, so journaling is a huge a huge tool for people who are not numbers focused, which is this idea of still getting stuff down on paper, right? Getting it out of your head. Going back to my days studying psychology at Oxford, that working memory has a limitation. There's only so much that can fit in our working memory at one time. It's like, I don't know if, I won't use RAM as an analogy on a computer because I'm not sure if people will necessarily get it, but it's like a very small cup of water, right? And the problem is, is that every time you want to like put something else in the cup of water, you have to empty the cup of water back into the big bucket, which is the rest of your brain. So what writing on paper really helps people do, and I'll often do this, I'll be like, what do I want to work on next? I'll just write those words at the top of a piece of paper, and then I'll just write for five or 10 minutes. And what I'm doing is I'm getting all of that information out of my head. It's almost like I'm allowing all the little different parts of my subconscious that want to have a say 
get themselves out on paper. And once I've done that, the information is in front of me and I usually make a much, much better decision. So if you're a creative person, you don't love numbers, that's totally cool. I mean, I would definitely recommend all people who hate numbers to get to know numbers and all people who hate in making intuitive decisions who love numbers should do the opposite. You know, it's important to be a bit more balanced. But I would say like, don't mistake not liking numbers with not liking information. You know, journal. If you need to journal your way to a problem on, on getting clarity, then use journaling and, and get it out of your head instead. What are the key numbers that you look at regularly? Are we, what are we talking about in terms of... Well, I guess for, for writing or for your business, like do you, have a, do you have a couple of numbers that you would look at on a weekly basis? Yeah, for sure. So when I'm, uh, if I'm writing, so for example, when I was writing my book, I was tracking the number of, I was tracking word count the number of words. So in my planner, I have, uh, you can track habits and you can track metrics. So my, my habit was, am I writing for four hours every day? And my metric was how many words did I produce? And there was no target on how many words I produced. I was just looking at it. I just wanted to know at the end of every day, where was I roughly in my book, right? And sometimes that would make me realize that I needed to make more progress. And sometimes it made me realize that actually I was making great progress and I could chill out of it. But I think for me, what I'm really tracking is the habit of like, did I put four hours in every day? So that's what I look at when I'm writing something big as a big project. When I'm running my business, uh, the three things that I look at are actually still come from John Morrow, who uh, that's how you and I know each other. Yeah. And I look at uh, the number of readers, the number of users who are on my site. I look at the conversion rate of those users onto my mailing list. And I look at the dollars per subscriber uh, in revenue that I'm making from the business. And those are the three things that give me an idea of which area of the business do I need to focus on so I can give myself permission not to think about the other two areas. Give yourself that permission. Yeah, so I think a lot of the time people, overwhelm is not about picking what the most important thing is. It's about picking what the least important things are. So when I'm running my business, every area always feels like it's important. I'm like, oh, I want to work on increasing readers and I want to increase conversion rates and I want to make you know more revenue. And so when people go, oh, pick your one thing, I'm like, but all of them are my one thing. How can I possibly pick one, one thing? But when I think of it, okay, when I think, okay, which two are less important? then it gives me permission to stop thinking about those things because it's kind of, it's reaching the one thing by subtraction rather than by like trying to find one thing to focus on. So you've read a lot of productivity literature over the the last few years, you know, based on the books that you shared on your site. And one kind of criticism of productivity is that it doesn't get you to the bottom of your to-do list. It just forces you to work more and more and more until you, you know, eventually will burn out because you can never finish work or tick it off and say it's done. 100%. Um, So productivity is just a way of forcing yourself to work harder and harder. What what would you say to those people who would criticize productivity that way? I would 100% agree with them. I think that the big problem with modern day productivity is that it's not holistic. Modern day productivity is too much about how to crank out more widgets and not about whether you should be cranking out widgets in the first place. So if I step back from the book, the idea of... So I think of productivity as having three layers, right? On the first layer is competence. Competence is where you can get up and get stuff done. Like you can, you can have a plan for the day, you can get to the end of your day and not always, but like seven times out of 10, you can pretty much tick a lot of the things that you said you were going to do off today. And those things, you know, you, you've got task and time management down. But where, that's where most people get stuck, right? The next level after that is balance. So layer two is balance. That's making sure that you can apply that level of competence to, I have eight different areas of life that I focus on, which roughly sort of sum up into uh, health, relationships, growth, and wealth. 
but they break down into two areas each. So once you do that, you go, okay, well, now I've got that. Let's step back and let's start thinking about why I'm actually being productive at all. And you start applying those same principles. Most people get caught in thinking about work or life. And that's not a fair way of looking at it because it, it assumes that work is 50% of what you do. Life is actually much more variable than there's many more different areas of life that are important to make you feel holistic and whole. So balance is the next layer. And then the top layer is meaning and purpose. It's, it's mission. It's meaning. And so what I say to people who get stuck when they talk about productivity being just about cranking out more widgets is I say they're absolutely right. Most productivity gurus just focus on that first layer. Or the second thing they do is they just focus on the top layer. They go, hey, what you need is more meaning and mission and values. And then you go, well, that's all great, but how do I get that stuff on my to-do list, right? What they're missing is this holistic end-to-end system of competence, balance, and meaning. I have five layers to my system. I have daily priorities, which feed into weekly goals, which feed into projects that you're working on, which feed into visions for each area of your life, which feed into your mission. And once you have a, when you have a good productivity system, a holistic productivity system, each of those things feed each other. So your missions feed your visions, feed your outcomes, feed your weekly goals, feed your daily priorities and vice versa. So you know that everything you work on is working towards something that's important and balanced. And are you reviewing or resetting any of those every quarter or every six months or every year? You're effectively, you review everything. The whole system gets reviewed on a day, on a, sorry, on a weekly basis, right? So on a daily basis, you're looking at your daily goals and your weekly goals because you basically, I, what I find is that if you think any larger than a week, it's too big. You know, it's too overwhelming to think about that stuff on a daily basis. So what I do is every week I set weekly goals and then each day I'm like, okay, how can I move towards my weekly goals? Because not a lot changes in a week, right? But then at the end of every week, what I'm looking at is I'm going, okay, well, what outcomes am I working on that I want to achieve in the next 12 months? So that's where I'm going, okay, well, how, like, are my weekly goals for next week? Are they feeding what I'm working on in the next 12 months? And at the same time, So I review the visions and the mission on a weekly basis just to make sure that they're fresh in my mind. One of the big reasons that people don't hit their goals is because they stop looking at them, not because they they haven't got clear goals. They simply, you know, it's like New Year's resolutions. You write them down, put them in a drawer and forget about them. So you have to keep them current in your head. But then to actually sit down and go, okay, are the outcomes I'm working on feeding into my missions? That I think of as more of an ad hoc thing. You know, people go, oh, you have to do it every three months or six months. If a big part of your life is changing, let's say you're expecting a baby or you're changing your jobs or things like that, maybe you need to review that every week for a month, right? Sometimes it's Mm. all going smoothly and you only need to like, double back into it every six months or a year or two years, right? So so it comes down to much more of a feel thing for the higher levels. Kind of like the pyramid that you described earlier on. A hundred percent. I'm all about end-to-end. I'm all about pyramid principle. It's, it's beautiful when things lock into each other because then when you wake up each morning, you're not doing a whole load of stuff that's meaningless. And also it helps to... It works both ways. It means that when you know what you want, you become very clear on what you don't want. And so you can start to eliminate the stuff that's not important as you go down the list. So I say to people, once you're clear on your visions, then you can go, okay, you can look at your outcomes list, the list of projects that you're working on, and you can start to go, I get people to take their list of projects and then put a minus five to, or, or a score from minus five to plus five in how much this project is moving them away from one of their visions or towards one of their visions. Only once you have the visions can you start to go, oh, wow, I've got like three minus two projects in here. The hardest thing for people is a lot of people have a few plus ones, but they actually realize that those things are getting in the way of projects which are plus fours or plus fives, things which are strongly moving them towards the person they want to be. And so they end up realizing that they can get rid of some of these things which are holding them back, which are distracting them. And it all feeds into itself. So every layer feeds the next one. On mornings, what's your morning routine like at the moment? Right now, I very specifically, I wake up, I record my heart rate variability, which is a great score 
your heart is kind of like your body's engine room. And so what your heart rate variability does, it tells you the, the gap in time between each of your heart rates. And as you get more and more run down and tired, that becomes less and less flexible. Your body becomes less and less good at adapting. Your ability, your homeostasis, your ability to adapt to your surroundings gets less. So HRV is a really good uh, way of giving myself an early warning sign of whether I'm getting run down. I never get sick anymore. What are you recording that with? I use an excellent app called uh, HRV for training. That's what I was using on my iPhone. I'm now using my uh, Apple Watch, um, which has uh, the ability to, to record that as well. I use um, AutoSleep, which is an app that um, lets me record that using my breathe function. Um, but there's a free one as well called WellTory, and you can actually just record it with the light at the back of your phone. It takes a little bit of getting used to, but once you get good at it, it's pretty good. Yeah, I know the reason I ask is I use a, uh, a fitness tracker called Whoop, W-H-O-O-P, which records yep. heart rate variability. So it basically gives you your score in the, early in the morning. But um, yes, I was just curious because I, I use that for, you know, deciding if I should, you know, go to the gym or go for a run or maybe just catch up on sleep in the afternoon. But anyway, so, so once you've recorded your heart rate variability, what do you want to after it's... No, I think, that's, I think that's awesome that you're doing that, by the way, because not many people know about that. And it's one of these like little game changing things that honestly, it, it makes you realize, okay, I'm, today I'm going to take on that big project or today maybe I'm going to yeah. do some admin. Um, yeah. Yeah. So once I've recorded my HRV, um, I get up and the first thing I do is make myself a cup of matcha tea. My fiance, Erin, her first business was a matcha tea business and she got me into matcha. It's kind of, it has the same effect as coffee, but there's a le- it's much less caffeine and the effects are much longer lasting. So it lasts me the whole seven hours of the morning on one cup, basically. Uh, and it's got full of antioxidants, great for your health. So I, use, I drink matcha tea and then I meditate for 20 minutes. And then I do what's called my AM review, my morning review. Um, and that's a super quick process. I spend seven minutes journaling. I write at the top of the page what I am feeling right now is. And then I uh, just get present with the sensations in my body, the emotions that are going through me and the thoughts going through my head. That helps me to just recalibrate, like where am I right now? And then what I do once I've got back to zero is I just review my mission and my visions. Like what are the weekly goals that I'm working towards? I just quickly read through those. And that just helps set the tone for the first thing that I get into for the rest of the day. Okay. And then do you write your articles or work on just whatever your number one priority is? Something that I love saying to people is that your, your morning routine actually starts the night before. Right. The most yeah. important of a morning routine is what you do the night before. It's A, getting a good night of sleep, but it's B, there are two things I do. First, I plan my day. <laughs> so I know yeah. what it is I'm working on, what my priorities are, even roughly where my time's going to go. I time block the day out in my planner. And the second thing that I love doing is I love, I learned this when I was still at university. I love to work out what all the little, the barriers that are going to be in the morning that are going to get in my way. And I try and knock them over the night before. So I lay my clothes out so I know where they are and it's already picked. I put my alarm clock under my clothes. So I have my clothes in my hand by the time I get out of bed to turn off my alarm. I have my match already laid out in the kitchen. You know, and so when I sit down at my desk, effectively, what I want to do is minimize the amount of wastage of thinking that I'm doing before my first activity. You know, I'm just like, it's like a runway that's totally clear. And then I sit down and I just get straight to my first, my first thing. So that's within the, like, there's 45 minutes of morning routine by the time that's all done. And then I'm straight in. And you finish your working day around 12 or 1? Yeah, so I wake up at five um, and I finish at 12 o'clock. I stop and I do what's called an end of work shutdown, which is where I just close all my loops, update my plans, make sure there aren't any urgent emails outstanding, clear all my inboxes, that kind of thing. And then, yeah, I'm done for the day. Okay. And do you avoid checking in on email or notifications or is that possible? <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the secret is to, I don't have email installed on my phone. 
for example, I only have it on my computer. And so, and my computer is upstairs. So uh, especially with COVID, a lot of people have struggled. A lot of my friends who were anyway working 80, 90 hour weeks have found that that bleed between work and home has got even harder to separate yeah. and usually in the favor of work, right? They end up working 14 hour days. The secret I found is to create two totally separate spaces. So I have a room upstairs where which we basically turn into an office. And in order to check my emails or do any of those things, I basically have to go to work. And when I'm out of that room, I don't have any of those cues which are triggering me to check emails. I don't have any email. on. I have no notifications on my phone. I have nothing. So there's nothing that's triggering that like that sense of an yeah. open loop that I then feel impelled to close. I like that. Yeah, I should. I, I used to do that. I should, I should really remember some of those habits. I think I let them slip during the, during the lockdown because I'm back checking email on my phone. Yeah. So Arthur, it was great to talk to you today. Where can people find your book, Stop Working Harder? Yeah, so if you just go to the, my website, fastertomaster.com, and then on the home page, if you scroll down, you'll see it straight away on the front page. Uh, otherwise, that's the store. Um, if you want to go straight to the URL, I don't know if you'll add it on the show notes, but it's fastertomaster.com forward slash primer. Um, and if you go to the free tools section of the site, which you'll see in the navigation at the top, you can find a link to yeah. download uh, the Beat Procrastination chapter, which is the free chapter. And you also have information about your habit tracker and gratitude journal. I have my I have the information about the habit track and gratitude journal. I also have a community and the six week masterclass. So the going back to the competence, balance, and meaning, the primer is really about competence. It's like how do I get these basic productivity things down so that I'm setting every day up for success and every week up for a win, and that I'm destroying distractions and beating procrastination and managing my calendar properly, that kind of thing. Then the uh, the planner is the pointy end of the stick. So it helps with the daily priorities and the daily planning, but it also encourages, it starts you moving in towards balance. So it forces you to set weekly goals in each of the areas of life. It's as a wheel of life to help you work out which area of life is holding you back. So it moves you more towards balance. And then the community and masterclass is really upgrading that competence that you've built. If you're someone who feels like you're already pretty productive, but you're frustrated that you still seem to be like constantly overwhelmed, that's where you get the most benefit out of my community and masterclass. Because there we talk about how can you upgrade your system so that it's super holistic, so that it's focused on, so that it's life first rather than work first. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'd encourage people to check it out faster to master.com and I'll put the link in the show notes. But thank you for your time, Arthur. Thanks, Brian. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit becomearitertoday.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course. Thanks for listening.